so, you know, it's always good when you can hear people chatting and saying, hey, it's good to see you. Um, so it's great to see people saying hello, taking time. And I have to applaud you. The Bible says to give honor where honor is due. Thank you for being here today. Thank you also for those of you who are unable to be in person. Thank you for joining us online. You know, a lot of churches are closed right now. A lot of churches have closed their doors. I'm not trying to make it political, but I am in many respects that the people of God are meant to gather and to be together. And we know we're not confined to building bricks and mortar, but there is something special about coming together in a place like this. So thank you. Thank you for being here. You know, the, I believe the Lord is pleased. And the joke I like to tell my friends, if we're ever not quite sure on any subject, we will find out the Lord's true position on things when we get to heaven, right? To see how we were on some things. So we're, we're going to find some things out, I'm sure. We're going to find out whether he loves drums or not. We're going to find out whether he likes electric guitar or not, or if his, his prime instrument is the, uh, the organ. So we're going to find all those things out um, one day. And so I want to encourage you for a moment, before we get into the main um, breath of our message here on the touch of God, we're going to go to Revelations chapter 1. And the reason why we're going to start here, unofficially, if you will, is because I just love this passage of Scripture, and it speaks to us who are part of the church of God. We're members in the universal church of the Lord. And it says this in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. And remember, Jesus is instructing through his angel to John to write these words. Jesus himself says to John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven, seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. And made us a kingdom priests to God and the Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. I am so thankful that you and I belong to the family of God. We belong to his church of where Christ is the head, the one who is, who was, and is to come. And so I want to invite us to turn to Romans chapter 8. We've kind of sat in this passage of Scripture for a little bit of time. We've been going through different parts of the Word of God on this series, The Touch of God. And Romans 8.31, just for sake of time, goes like this. What are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or disease or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
as it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know about you, but when you read that passage, you just kind of want to jump up and say, yes! Nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate you and I from the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. No height, no depth, nor any kind of power. Today, tomorrow, or in the future. We are in the palm of his hand. When crazy begins to happen, when the good and the ugly is on your doorstep, we remain in the palm of his hand. That no one can snatch us out of his hand, the scripture says. And so today I want to continue in our series, The Touch of God. The touch of God conquers all. The touch of God conquers everything. My hope for us this afternoon as members of this universal church of whom Christ purchased with his own blood, that when we come into agreement with this, with our brothers and sisters in Christ of past, present, and future, that the touch of God truly conquers everything, that this will give us, you ready? This will give us the strength and resolve of courage to follow through in the victory that Christ has laid out before us. The victory that Christ had won on the cross at Calvary over 2,000 years ago. And so the fact that you and I, Jim, you and I have been born of God through faith in him. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. No devices, no scheming in that of mortal man is able to measure up to he who has overcome the world. I'm the kind of person that loves technology. I love things that are created, and yet all those things cannot even compare with what we have in Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul writes, in all the things, the fact that yes, we suffer and we face circumstance in our life, but God is faithful. He's going to bring through what he has promised, that we will one day be like Jesus, that he has resolved in all these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? We're told this in Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Some translations say, in us. There is this revelation of the glory of God because we're united with Christ. That's why in the time of worship, I was overflowing with this thanksgiving That since we're united with Christ, the glory that he shares with his heavenly father, we too will share in that glory. 
Not that we'll become divine, but we will be as he is. We will have glorified bodies fit for heaven. No longer compromised by the ways and things of this world. I can't help but think of these things as you watch the convoy roll on its way to Ottawa. Working through and people having conversation desiring to see justice and change in the land. And I couldn't help but be, you know, this speaking to myself to position myself to trust in he in whom the battle is already won. So point number one, get ready for this. My God is better, bigger, stronger, greater than anyone else. And he self-appointed God, and when we realize this, when we grasp this with our whole heart, I'm preaching to myself, Andrew, when you can grab this, really take hold of it, I mean, sink your teeth into it kind of thing, we'll be able to seize the day. We'll be able to seize the day. Romans 8, 31 again. What then are we to say about all these things? And you can fill in these gaps. All the things. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, you look around the world, there's a, a times of a lot of giving up going on. And it shows us more than ever the need to not give in temptation to give up, to throw in the towel, if you will, put our hands in the air and quit before we ever see the victory. We've all had conversations, I'm sure, with people who are followers even of Jesus and have yet sold themselves short by believing maybe that circumstance in their life was actually truly impossible for God. Or maybe it was taking too long for that victory to come to fruition. Sometimes we pack it in, we, we toss in the towel because of whether it's persecution or maybe we've been rebuked because of our faith. Or maybe the journey seems too insurmountable. Whatever those things are, whatever is going through your mind here today, I really believe as I'm speaking to myself, if we can draw from what I just said in that first point, that our God is bigger, better, stronger than everyone We'd allow those words to be deposited into our spirit. And as we look to the word of God, we'll be able to overcome all things. And this is something that I was encouraged with the other day when my friend's U-Haul broke down at the border. And I'm thinking, oh man, this guy's going through the ringer. He's going through the test. And I hope it's okay that I share this. I didn't ask your permission, but anyway. And uh, so our buddy DW and Jess, you know, they're going down to Florida. And uh, he had packed up the U-Haul and was heading out. He left at like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning on, on Friday. And I got a message later that afternoon that it had broken down. The starter had failed. And he thought maybe he'd have to unpack everything and repack it, another truck. To make a long story short, the, the garage was able to find another starter. And by about 5 p.m. or so, he, DW's over the bridge. I'm sure he, as he's rolling over that bridge, as he passes through customs, he's praising God more than likely. Like, he's got the victory, man. And he sends me a message, hey, could you come pick me up the border? I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It was wonderful hearing of this, even this story and these little moments in time. I believe even those situations and circumstances, even in that thing that was happening, that God had his back. Now, someone might say, oh, no, you're just chalking it up to coincidence. You know, that was just something that happened. But either God is either able to be involved in all things or not. 
And so I believe you had the favor of God on you, brother. Check this out. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. When we think of the one who has called us, Jesus Christ, who overcame the cross, sin and death, that's going to muster the courage to follow him in all things. And I understand this can be a, a difficult subject, again, with the convoy happening, but in, within that crowd, within that mix of people, are many brothers and sisters in Christ who also believe in true justice and believing of, of balancing the scales for all citizens of this great country. In the midst of everything that's happening, there are men and women of God who are praying and believing, praying, God, keep our land glorious and free. You ever notice just a side tangent for a second? The moment we took God out of the schools, the moment we tried to strip him of his rightful place, things just started to be destroyed. Being tossed to the dogs, if you will. I think we can all agree that happens when we decide to jettison God from the equation. And so that's why I'm really tremendously pleased in the midst of what's happening in our nation's capital that people are praying. People aren't just, you know, throwing banners and, and all that and not speaking against it, just saying that people are still remembering to pray, God, keep our land glorious and free. And so today as we're looking at this touch of God, this, this love of God, this power and peace of, of Christ that conquers everything, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Maybe you're here today and, and you might have been thinking, you know, he might actually preach on David and Goliath today. Well, if you, were, if you were guessing that, well, bingo, right on. That's where we're heading. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17. It's one of my favorite stories because it really, I believe, speaks to the provision of God that the battle truly belongs to the Lord. And yet, in the midst of it, he works in and through us. He works in the midst of faithful men and women who will answer the call to step up against giants. We all have giants in our land. We have giants in our lives. And so as we go through the story, yeah, we're going to hear about the Philistine giant called Goliath. But allow that to sink in and start to name and realize what are those giants in our life? Okay? So in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we have the story in David and Goliath, and for sake of time, I'm going to give a quick summary. And so right at the beginning, the, the Israelites and the Philistines have drawn their battle lines. They've come to the precipice in the valley of Elah, and they're preparing to go to war. In the midst of this war, the Philistines really have had their pride and ego hurt because the God, their self-appointed God, Dragon, was earlier in another account by another tribe was beheaded and found to be laying before the Ark of the Covenant because no false God can stand before the Lord. And so they're hurt. Their pride has been hurt. And so this Goliath, this giant, the people's champion of the Philistines, comes out against the armies of Israel and taunts them. He's taunting them and trying to draw them out into battle. 
And so this great big bully, if you will, is on the scene and he's calling out to them. Now when, it look, when we look at this stature of this giant, he was a big dude. It says in verse 4, he was nine feet, nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. That's incredible. I don't know the last time you lifted dumbbells, but I have a set of 35-pound dumbbells in my basement, and I have a hard time just curling those on their own. 125 pounds of this bronze weight on this mammoth of a dude. Okay? So he's somebody that's not to be messed with. And it says that he had this armor and he, he had a bronze javelin that was slung between his shoulders and his spear shaft was like a weaver's beam. And what that refers to was there was this cord that went around this javelin that you could toss this javelin at a great speed and distance similar to that of a football for the greatest striking possibility. So this guy was armed to the teeth. He had a commanding presence. And so he comes out, and on top of that, he has a shield bearer. He has a shield bearer. So he has a javelin. He has his armor. He's over nine feet tall, probably a booming voice. And he has this armor bearer with him walking in front of him. So you can imagine what it's like for these people of Israel when they're at the line, and the giant comes out, and he taunts them. And he says, look, if you come out and fight me, and if you win, we will become your servants. But if we win, you will become our servants and slaves. And so he speaks to them and he says, he doesn't stop there. In verse 10 it says, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Here this giant, this bully is on scene. He's defied the Lord. He's defied their ranks. And the result of his taunting and his words was that of the Israelites tucking their tails, if you will, in loss of courage. They were struck to the core. This was the result of this mammoth dude, Goliath. And then you would, could have thought that all hope was lost, that they were more than likely thinking, we might as well just pack it in, toss in the towel. We're going to become, you know, part of the Philistine family today. We're going to be their servants. But then a young man by the name of David also stepped on the scene. And I can't help, as I'm reading this story, I get excited because I like to try and center myself in the story of myself and believing that by faith in God that he can use me like David. And here David, he, he comes into the scene and he's chronicled through verses 12 to 20 as the servant of God. And he comes on the scene and he assesses the situation. Verse 22, it says this, David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. Now keep in mind, the Goliath was shouting these words twice a day for 40 days. And so while David's having this conversation, he hears this taunting of 
Goliath. Now you might be wondering, well, why was David there in the first place? If he's a young man who's a shepherd with his father's flock, why is he there? I'm glad you asked that question because when you go to verse 17, it shows us that his father has sent him on a mission. Keep that in mind. His father has sent David on a mission. He says this, Take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Also take these ten portions of cheese to the field commander. Check on the well-being of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, and loaded up and set out as Jesse had charged him. So there's a couple things that we can learn from this, that when your father sets you on a mission, you're to be about your father's business and not waste any time. He told him to hurry. And yet here we are seeing this transformation of a young man, a shepherd, now becoming, learning the ways of leadership. It doesn't say that he just dropped everything, left his sheep to fend for themselves. It said that he left his sheep in the care of another. Here's a leadership perspective for us to learn this importance of delegation when God calls us to something. That little nugget's for free, by the way. And so we move along here. We see that David has a conversation with his brothers because his father said, bring the supplies to your brothers and see how they're doing. And bring back word on how they're doing. Well, here we see the response of what's happening with his brothers. They're actually upset that David's there. They even question his heart. They question his motives. David's older brother, Elab listened as David was asking questions. You know, what will King Saul do for the man who takes out this giant? And so David's brother gets upset. He says, why did you come down here? Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. Here is brother. He's got it all wrong. He doesn't know that David has done what's appropriate and has put his sheep into the care of another. David's heart here is pure. He's here about his father's business. And so David says, and rightfully so, in a very eloquent way, what have I done now? You can imagine as a younger brother, the older brother is always saying something about their younger brother. David said it was just a question. And so he turned from those beside him in front of others and asked about the offer. The people gave him the same answer as before. And so the king's offer for whoever to go Goliath was that his family would benefit greatly. That Saul would give his daughter to the one who took out the giant and also that their family would pay no more taxes. Could you imagine if one day you got a notice saying, congratulations, you're no longer paying any taxes. I'm sure you'd be like, sign me up. Where do I have to go? Who do I have to fight? Here in this respect, for many aspects, David's saying, sign me up. But again, his heart is in the right place. He's not bloodthirsty. I've heard so many preachers, it's unbelievable, get, you know, kind of bent out of shape about this passage saying, this speaks to the bloodthirst of mankind, that God was never behind any of this. He was never involved. There was a lot of delusion about what God truly desired of his people. 
And we're going to get there in a second. And so David, he remains determined in the midst of this giant that's calling them out. And so when the Goliath said these things, remember, the people of Israel were afraid. But look at David's response in verse 32. David said to Saul, Don't let anyone be discouraged on account of this Philistine, for your servant will go and fight him. Here you can imagine the king saying like, What? I'm king. God has anointed me to lead the people, and yet this young guy is saying, don't worry. I will go and fight him. And so here's this encounter, and I believe can stir our souls, that when we put our faith, we put our trust in God, that nothing's impossible. My God is bigger. My God is greater. My God is stronger than that giant. That's what I couldn't help but see as I was reading through this story. And here we see again this transformation. David goes from being able to delegate to now to step out in faith and say, I'm going to fight this giant and I'm going to win. That's something I believe we can take in our spirit when we face off against the, the enemy of our souls, Lucifer the devil. And so here David was not shaken. Now what I found really interesting in the story, if you will, that David and the king actually knew each other. Now you might say, well, of course, because David was anointed by Samuel to precede Saul as king. And you'd be right. But David had already been loved very much by the king and became his armor bearer. So sometimes the story shows that, you know, David was just this young dude who came in and was just all of a sudden miraculously able to fight. But make no mistake, he had prepared for the day. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 21 says this. When David came to Saul and entered his service, Saul loved him very much, and David became his armor bearer. 1 Samuel 16, 18. One of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem, David, who knows how to play the lyre. He is also a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is with him. So it's not about that he's handsome. It's not even the fact that he's a valiant warrior, although he is, but the Lord is capitalized Yahweh. God Almighty is with him. The Lord of heaven's armies is with David. So if the Philistines believed in God, you can imagine if they actually believed, they'd be shivering in their boots. The Lord is with him. The Lord who decapitated our so-called God is with David. And you can see the imagery that's going to happen. David eventually cuts off Goliath's head, who defied the armies of the living God. And so here, this conversation happens. And at first, the king's like, you can't go fight this guy. You're just a youth. But then David remains undeterred. And that can speak to us, that when you're facing off in the areas in which God has called you to, don't be deterred by the situation. Don't be deterred by a broken U-Haul. Do not be deterred because if God is faithful who has called you to something, he's going to see it through. Because, what's the saying? My God is greater, bigger, stronger than anything. And so here David reiterates he doesn't lose his nerve. And eventually Saul says, the Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. So let's go to verses 45 to 52. 
Now, first David, here's this exchange by the Goliath. He says to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Remember, David was a shepherd. But see, Goliath underestimated David. He didn't see the sling on his you know, tool belt or whatever you're going to call it. Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the armies of the living God whom you have defied. Today, don't forget this part, today the Lord will hand you over to me Today, I will strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpse of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, and his name is Yahweh, Lord. And so this young man it speaks to us here today, it's speaking to my heart right now, that when you face off against that giant, whatever that giant is in my life, whatever that giant is in your life, that you can speak to that giant, that you have no permission and authority in my life because I've been bought by the blood of the Lamb. The Word of God that's deposited in our spirit says we overcome them by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. And so here David goes up against Goliath. He's undeterred. He's undeterred. Look at verse 47. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. The battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. This is something I'm trying to learn in my young life, that when God has a plan, when he's worked something through the purposes of heaven, that if it's meant to be, it will be, and only control the things that you're meant to control, and let God be about his business. That's something that I've had a really hard time learning over the years, because it's tough. We want to control all the parameters. We want to balance all the scales. I'm right there with you. And yet this story is speaking. David is speaking to us today. Remember, a man after God's own heart, that the Lord will hand you into my hand. The battle is the Lord's. And so as we continue on, they have this encounter, and it says here that when the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. So he not only was hurrying to do as his father sent him to do, to get word on his sons, he is wasting no time to face off against the enemy. And it says, David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and slung it and hit the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. Now maybe like me you were wondering, could a stone really do that kind of damage? And there's a bunch of things you can find online, mistbusters and such that have actually done videos on this, and it is possible. But this sling, this stone in these slings was used. It was a common tool, just as common as the archer in a battle formation. We're told this in 1 Chronicles 12, verse 2. There were archers who could use either the right or left hand. Think about that. Right or left hand, both to sling stones 
and shoot arrows from a bow. Oh, and by the way, they were Saul's relatives from Benjamin. So this was a common um, ability by these men on the battlefield. And so Goliath succumbed to this stone, and I believe that it's also because of his pride. We know in Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before destruction. The thing that gets me excited when I wake up in the morning, even when I falter, even when I fail, even when I sin, that Lucifer, the devil, because of his pride, that I will be like God, I will be God, that his pride is going to lead to his destruction. In fact, he's already being destroyed. He's already being defeated on the cross at Calvary. And so he's waging a lost battle. And yet he knows if I can wreak havoc in our thought, in your thought life, in my thought life, he believes he can somehow turn the scales. If we could actually, think about it, if we could actually turn in our heart and say, there is no God. There is no Christ. There was no need for him to die for my sins and shed his precious blood. And yet, the greatest thing the devil did was convince the world that he doesn't exist, and he's also infiltrated the church and teaching teachers to say the blood of Christ wasn't necessary. The blood of Christ doesn't even need it to happen because he could have just spoke the word. But if that was the case, Jesus wouldn't have said right at the beginning of Revelation that you've been forgiven by the blood. We overcome them by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so in closing, the application, when we look at this story, that David's source of his strength, the resolve of his courage to conquer that giant was that his God is bigger, greater, stronger than anything else. And so look what happens here. It says that David defeated the Philistine, in verse 50, with a sling and stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from his sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. This is the very thing that's going to happen on the day of the Lord. When he returns, he's going to cast the beast and the Antichrist into the abyss, the fire of sulfur, the lake of, of sulfur and fire. You can see all these, this imagery. Jesus was about his father's business. He didn't waste any time. He said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many, to seek and save the lost. He became obedient even to the point of death. And he defeated Satan on that cross. And so my prayer for us this afternoon as I'm preaching myself that we would be encouraged that when we join with our brothers and sisters in Christ and believe in that our God is bigger, greater, stronger than anything else, we can defeat any giant, the giants in our thought life, the giants in our relationships, and the whole list goes on. I encourage you to think, what are those giants? What are those things in our life that seek to separate us from our relationship with God. And yet in Romans 8, we're told that nothing, nor height, nor power, nor angels or demons can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come as we respond to this word this afternoon. I've always been encouraged from Scripture 
where Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. The same God who spoke to Moses at the burning bush that I'll be with you to lead my people out of Israel is the same God who speaks to your heart and to my heart. When you're laying in bed and you say your prayers before you go to sleep or whenever you say your prayers, you can trust and believe that God is working in your heart and he's speaking to your heart and he's giving you favor. He's giving you provision. Think about it. What is that that he has put in your hand? What even maybe is he putting before you like in the valley where David grabbed those smooth stones to use in the victory? What has he placed in your life? What gifts, what talents, what provisions has he made? This is something that I'm endeavoring to be aware of. And I'm encouraged as Jesus said this in Matthew 16. He told Peter, as after Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He said this, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower you. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Think about that encouragement. At the end of the day, we can bind and loose in the name of Jesus. So the next time, DW, friends, the next time that the devil comes into the situation and speaks, tries to sow those words of deception to try and get you off the game, to get you off what God has called you to, remember who you serve. My God is bigger, greater, stronger than you. Get behind me, Satan, for the victory is already won. The victory is already won. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's have a word of prayer together as the worship team plays. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for your word, oh God. Thank you for the promise that's been laid out in your, your word, that Lord, by you, through faith in you, we overcome this world. We also overcome the enemy of our souls. We overcome the devil whom you have already defeated by faith in you, by your sacrifice on the cross, by your blood, your shed blood that was so necessary for our redemption, the redemption of our souls that we could truly experience life and life to the full. I thank you here in this place this afternoon, God, that you are making a way. You are breaking down what seems impossible. You're the barrier breaker. You're the one of provision and favor. And I thank you, Lord, for that favor and provision for each person that's here today and watching online. I, I ask you, Lord, to give us strength and resolve of courage to not give in when the enemy's at the gates, to not to give in to the naysayers and those who accuse us, especially Satan, who your word says accuses us night and day. But I thank you, Father. I come in agreement with my brothers and sisters in Christ who believe in you, that because we believe in you who intercedes for us, that we have the victory. So, Lord, thank you for that victory. Thank you for every victory for now, tomorrow, and in the future. Our life is in your hands. We know that we're in the palm of your hand. Bless your name. 
O Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless your holy name.